Hey, hey, and welcome back to Movie Time Capsule. This is the show where I tell my guests that the world is ending and they have 60 minutes to fill their capsule with the movies that impacted their life. My guest today is a massive film lover and he is the host of the tremendous Force 5 podcast. On this episode, we are getting into classic films like Jurassic Park, Reservoir Dogs, Boogie Nights, and we're even gonna get a taste of some American pie. I'm your host, Luke Cheney. Let's go. It is time to talk about movies, all your favorites, all your loved ones. We will hear them and we'll cheer them. It is time for Movie Time Capsule. With me today is a writer, filmmaker, physical media collector, and host of my new favorite film podcast. Welcome to the show, Jason Kleberg. Thanks for having me. This is, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited to have you here. Your, your podcast is legitimately my new favorite podcast. I love the concept. It's always fresh because you guys come up with, or your guests come up with new concepts. Um, and the concepts are just always very minute and really get into some subgenres of movies. Um, but yeah, tell us about it and tell us uh, why you started it. Sure. So the Force 5 podcast is a movie about top five lists. And the interesting thing I think about the show is that every week is a new guest and the guest gets to pick the topic. So I started this podcast during the pandemic last year, watching movies, going to movies, one of my favorite things in the world. And my favorite part of going to the movies with friends is those moments where you watch the movie and then you stand in the parking lot afterwards for 30 minutes and talk about movies. Yeah. And during the pandemic, you don't get that anymore. Everything's Netflix or Amazon or, you know, video on demand and, and you don't have that opportunity to talk movies. So I was, I've always wanted to do a podcast and I had all these ideas. I had one before that, that just didn't go anywhere. And finally it's like, I, I got to start something. I got to talk to people about movies. And that's where this came from. Uh, top five lists have always been a thing that have compiled in my lists or in my, in my head. And uh, now it's just fun to get into those lists with other people. Yeah. At some point you got to be a guest on my show as well. Yeah, I would love to. I actually, I've been thinking of a category and um, I, I don't know how what your audience is like, but I hope they all would know what the term diegetic sound is. I, I would hope so. So I would, I would love to do the top five uses of diegetic songs in, in movies. All right, there we go. I don't think you See, we just came yet. up with a topic. Now we're just going <laughs> to schedule it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is something that we definitely have missed in the last year or year plus is those parking lot moments where we get to recap with friends. Like now, like you said, it's all online and we have like maybe these like two or three line text conversations back and forth and we don't really get into the, the meat of it all. So yeah, that's kind of why I started my podcast too. I just, I missed having good conversations. Yeah. And movies bring so much of that, you know, I know. much to my wife's chagrin who has to like endure me talking about thinking about <laughs> movies endlessly nonstop. Same. I would say exactly way. She's becoming like a, a cinephile herself because I'm, I've been teaching her all the ways and the things to look for. <laughs> nice. See, my wife gets annoyed by it because now she's like, I already know who the killer is because you've taught me all these things. And I, I used to go into movies and be surprised. And now I'm not surprised anymore. I know. We're kind of stripping the magic away by knowing all of the ins <laughs> and outs. It's, it's a blessing and a curse. Indeed. Indeed. So with that said, what have you uh, seen recently? Oh my gosh. On my last show, I just reviewed a new French film called Candisha, which if people are interested in the new Candyman movie, 
or in Candyman in general, you got to go watch Candisha. It's on Shudder right now. It's a French horror movie that's along the same lines, like say the person's name into the mirror five times or there's a little ritual, but it is um, it's terrifying. It's a really, really good French horror film. The killer, unlike the Candyman, is this man-hating Moroccan demon that has to kill six men around you before it disappears. And of course, it starts targeting men that they don't want to die. So it is a very, very interesting French movie. Uh, so that's that's the last movie that I watched, and it's a good one. Wow, I have not heard of that at all. Where do you? Where did you find it? How do you find your? Because I've seen that you reviewed a lot of off the beaten path movies. Like, where do you usually get your your inspiration to watch things? Ooh, well, I'm a big, big uh, streaming fan, so. I have like Shudder and Netflix and and I do a lot of searching through those to find interesting things. And then I'm a I'm a genre fan at heart. So things like Vinegar Syndrome Blu-rays come to my house monthly because I'm a subscriber. So there's all kinds of weird stuff that I get my hands on. And I'm like I said, I'm always thinking about movies, looking for movies and anything that piques my interest when I get the chance, I'm going to consume it. Yeah, yeah, you're all over it. So uh, you have a uh, a large collection of movies. Do you have a, a number of or a ballpark of how big it is? Yeah, last I checked, it was right underneath a thousand. And with with my wow newest Vinegar Syndrome box arriving soon, I think it will probably be over a thousand. I've been collecting movies since like 2003, and at first it was just DVDs, and now it's the, now I have about a thousand Blu-rays. I have probably even more DVDs. That's so cool. Is there one particular that's very special to you because of like the packaging or where it came from or just the rarity of it? Oh, you know, I'm a huge Quentin Tarantino fan. And so the one that pops right to my head, there was a, um, I think it was a South Korean edition of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It was pretty limited. And I was able to get my hands on one of those. Oh, and, wow. Uh, that's kind of like one of the prides of my collection. There's another two that I won't mention yet because it'll probably come up in our conversation <laughs> that I'll talk about later. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, I, I'm looking at my window right now and I'm seeing that there's like, it looks like there's a giant cloud or a swarm of murdering cicadas. Do you, are you seeing this where you live too? I, <laughs> I think this is, might be the end of the world. Oh, if it's the end of the world, well... I'm glad I got my movie collection. Let's just say that. I think we better start putting your capsule choices into your capsule. You ready to go? Let's do this. Jason, what is the movie that you first purchased with your own money for your own collection? Ooh. Um, all right. Well, I guess this has to go back to the VHS days. Yeah. Because that's probably the... F okay. The first movie I ever bought with my own money was American Pie. <laughs> in 1999 and that was like 99 is when i got my first vhs player that wasn't for my family and i went to like a blockbuster and i was able to buy this american pie vhs tape because i loved american pie i was <laughs> you know i was graduating in 1999 with these with these same kids so yeah that's definitely the one that embarrassingly enough was my first vhs tape and <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that i mean that movie <laughs> was the shit back when when it came out it was. Do you still have the actual copy? Oh, I don't have the VHS. No, I, I ditched all my VHS copies, but I do own it on Blu-ray. And surprise, well, I guess unsurprisingly, because it's probably the same way with most high school movies, it doesn't hold up like it used to. Mm -hmm. And it feels a little wrong in 2021, but I still keep those memories from 99. 
Yeah. Just in the in the back of your own vault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Jason, is there a, a movie that you quote the most when you're talking to your wife, when you're talking to your friends, whoever it may be? Like, what's the movie that has the best dialogue? Or not maybe the best, but the dialogue that makes it into your own vernacular? You know, Pulp Fiction is, is the one that comes to mind. In my daily life, I think I quote TV shows more. The yeah. Office and Arrested Development come to mind. Those are the ones that are constantly being talked about in my house. But Pulp Fiction is that one that I keep coming back to specifically. Now I got a three-year-old kid running around and everything is what? <laughs> so, of course, Samuel L. Jackson's what spiel comes into my head. Now I can't say it to my kid, but I think it. Many times. <laughs> Say what again? Uh, you know, there are there are so many good quotes. Uh, Winston Wolf, you know, so many good good mm-hmm. quotes from him in a very, very short role. Uh, yes. Yeah. Pulp Fiction is the one that I would say that I quote on a daily basis. Oh, my God. The next time I hear a kid say say what <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to have the Sam Jackson in my head. When, when that As you now. should. <laughs> what? Oh ain't no country I ever heard of. <laughs> All right. Is there a movie that got you into film, got you into filmmaking? Absolutely. Uh, for those who don't know or don't listen to my show at all, I do. I'm a screenwriter. So I, I say that loosely. I haven't sold a screenplay, but I'm writing screenplays. I have five in the can and I had two on the blacklist, which I'm pretty proud of. Hell yeah. And my love for filmmaking goes way back. Like I was making films on uh, high eight. The VHS, like the little VHS tapes back in, you know, I was like 12 or 13. And one that really made me think, okay, I can make movies was Reservoir Dogs. Again, another Tarantino reference. But that was a film that I realized, wow, you can do a lot of really cool things on a really low budget. And the very first film that I submitted to a film festival was almost a direct ripoff of Reservoir Dogs, which, I mean, let's... We'll do what Tarantino says. It's an homage. Uh, but it was, man, it was like a very, very rip, ripped Reservoir Dogs version. I still was, I mean, I was like 18 years old at the time, but it was a lot of fun. And that was definitely the one that was like, okay, I, I got to start writing because this dude knows how to write dialogue. Yeah, I totally get that. I was just thinking about that film the other day because that was like his first, that was the first film he directed. Is that right? Yeah. Right. And I was thinking, I was like, so much of it, there's the flashback scenes and there's some action, some really good action in there, which costs some money. But most of it, the parts you remember all take place in the warehouse. And I was like, wow, this is just an interesting movie about interesting people saying interesting words. And that is just the core of all good movies and what we all should strive to, you know, put into our scripts. Indeed. All right. Is there a movie that you would say is underrated and needs to be seen by more people? Yeah, you know, uh, well, Candisha, like I mentioned, go see that one. But there's a movie from 2015 called The Guest that I think is is absurdly underseen. The Guest stars Dan Stevens, and it's a movie about, well, I'll give you some background. Uh, I used to travel for work, and I was traveling around the country, and once in a while I would go and see a movie. And I also don't watch movie trailers. I haven't watched movie trailers for like seven years because I want to go in completely fresh. fresh. And I was looking for something to watch. And I look at this local theater and there's only like two movies playing. And I saw that The Guest was directed by Adam Wingard. And I really liked Your Next. So I'm like, you know what? I'll go see it. 
Didn't know a thing about it. Expected like a straight up horror movie like your next was home invasion movie. It was not that at all. And it's about this military guy who just shows up to this house. And these folks had a, a son in the military. And he's like, I, I was in the military with your son. And they invite him in, feed him dinner, invite him to stay for a couple days. And he starts becoming a part of their daily routine for a little bit. And uh, it just goes in so many awesome places. It's got an amazing soundtrack. And if you go in fresh, you're never going to expect what's how this thing's going to end. It is a really, really fun ride. And more people need to see it. Adam Wingard is super talented. And uh, he shouldn't just get boxed into things like King Kong. That's awesome. I love that you said that you don't watch trailers because I try to watch as little of trailers as possible. Because, you know, there's so many movies that are part of franchises or tent poles that you're just like, this director's doing it. I'm going to see it. And for me, I'm like, what's the point of watching the trailer? Like, I'm going to go. Like, I don't need to have anything ruined. Um, I wish more people would like were like that. I feel like my wife is very lucky because I just put on movies for us uh, every couple times a week. And she just gets to see things without knowing whatever the fuck they are until they're <laughs> yeah. actually on the screen. And I wish someone could do that for me. Uh, so that's awesome. I'll have to check that out. I have not seen that movie. I am not going to look it up right now, but I will. I will watch that. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Okay. Now, I don't know you. I don't know if you're much of a crier, an emotional person, but is there a movie that when you watch it every time, it makes you cry? Yeah, I am a crier during movies, and I am not ashamed to admit that. I will (laughs) let them stream. Do not care. And there's one movie that is guaranteed to bring the tears, Uh, but there's two types of tears, right? There's those happy tears or those like, oh my God, I can't believe they accomplished that tears. And then there's like, tears of sadness and distress and this is one of those distress films for me it's a documentary i think it came out in like it was sometime in the mid 2000s or like maybe 2010 called a dear zachary a letter to a boy from his father it's a documentary okay uh and i think most documentaries that are really really memorable are those documentaries that start out as one thing and then end up going a completely different direction than even the filmmaker anticipated. And that's what happens in this film. Uh, Originally, it's about this guy who dies. He's got a very young son. And one of the the guy's friends starts making this documentary for the son about his dad. And it goes in a way that is just incredible. Like, I'm getting goosebumps on my arms right now (laughs) thinking about it. It goes in this way that is incredible, but uh, there's a twist, maybe... 30 minutes in and I was just like speechless while watching this film. Uh, This is before I got married. I was sitting at my kitchen table watching it and I'm just like ugly crying. (laughs) And it is, uh, it's an emotional movie. It's one that I will not watch again. It was a one and done. One and done. Yeah. And for those who have kids, it is like, I had this, I watched this obviously before I had kids too. And wow, it is, uh, I'm, I'm sure that if you have kids, it will affect you even more. Wow. I don't have kids, but I mean, it's very intriguing what you're talking about. The whole giant twist that happens naturally in the, in the, in the arc of, of making this, uh, that happened in, what was that? Three strangers or th- yep, three identical strangers or whatever it's called. Three, yeah. Three identical strangers. Yeah. I mean, there's something just about a, a true story, a movie that's based on a true story or just that is a true story itself unfolding that's so much more impactful and just gets you so much more invested into the film. Yeah. Ugh. It's, 
yeah, it's it's not a fun watch, but it man, it will it will affect you. Wow. It, okay. On the flip side of that, if someone was having a bad day, like after they watched that film, what's a film that you would give someone that would cheer them up? Um. Wow. I guess you got to go to a comedy to cheer people up, and it really depends. I guess it really depends on what kind of cheering up they need done. For me, the go-to, wow, there's probably two, but I'm gonna just I'm gonna narrow it down to one here and say 2011's Bridesmaids, yes, which I think is a brilliant comedy. It deserved to be nominated for an Oscar for the writing on that film. It is so damn funny, and it's got so many memorable moments. And I think that no matter what kind of mood you're in you're going to find something to laugh at in that movie. There's a scene on the plane in that film that is one of the funniest scenes hands down in the 21st century. There's so many things to pick apart there. So Bridesmaids, definitely my answer to cheer somebody up. <laughs> yes. That movie is so great on so many levels. Like you said, it's it's freaking almost Oscar worthy. My wife, she does the airports or the, the airplane scene so much. She, she loves that. <laughs> that movie really has... It almost hits like every box for something that you want in a good movie. You know, it's got the drama and it's got the jokes, whether they're they're physical or just very intellectual, smart jokes. Yeah, that's that's a great choice to cheer someone up. Yeah, and it's got M- Melissa McCarthy in a very uh, smaller, more subdued role. And I think that's when she does her best work is mm-hmm. when she's not the center of attention in a comedy, but she can bring her full self to a smaller role. Man, she is fantastic in that movie. Uh, is there a movie that blew your mind more than any other movie? Yeah, there was. Well, geez, which one do I want to talk about? I'll talk about one that's more recent. The f- horror film that I think I come back to more than any other from the last decade is Ari Aster's Midsommar. Mm-hmm. It blew my mind because most horror movies are set at night, set in the dark. This one is like, a daytime horror horror movie. And it's something that I hadn't really seen done before. I really liked Hereditary. I loved what he did with Hereditary. There are several scenes in that that will stick with me forever. Yeah. But the atmosphere in Midsommar is so, it's so different from any other horror movie. And there's a scene of initial shock at the very beginning of the film that sets the tone like, holy shit, we are in for a ride. <laughs> yeah. And it only gets nuttier from there. So the, I mean, there's a, a scene with drugs that just like, wow, blows your mind. And this is one of the, this is what I mentioned when I mentioned I had a physical media copy of this. I got the 4K disc from A24 and it's like this beautiful bound copy that's much larger than the other discs on my shelf. Mm-hmm. And it's just like one of those symbols of pride in my movie room <laughs> seeing Midsommar on the wall. Like this is just an amazing movie that, um, I've never been able to shake. And I saw it like the weekend it came out three or four years ago. Yeah, that movie does open with this like a huge bang of you're like, what the fuck am I in store for? Like if this is the if this is just the appetizer, like what else is going to go on? And then it does go much deeper down the, I guess, horror rabbit hole, you could say. Um, Yeah. And it's 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 amazing. The visuals that stick in your brain after this movie. Um, for me, I think it's going to be a one and done because I'm just like, 
That is, it's a lot to handle, um, especially yeah. with, with the daylight. You know, there's just, everything just kind of slowly creeps in as to it gets worse and worse and worse. But it's not like a uh, like a horror house movie or a haunted house movie where you can slowly see things getting worse for the the people that live in the house. Like this, like you just never see it coming. Yeah, and it's, an, it's also an amazing portrayal of grief. And you get just an absolutely dynamic performance from Florence Pugh, who... Most people have probably seen in Black Widow, but wow, she just gives the performance of a lifetime in this one. And this is another one that I think, geez, she should have been nominated for an Oscar, no doubt, and wasn't. She was recognized for Little Women that's, I think it was the same year, but she deserved a nomination for Midsommar. She was fantastic. Yeah, she's great. I can't wait to see, you know, she's got a a long career ahead of her for sure. Agreed. So I know that you have a son. Uh, he's Is he three right now? He's three, yeah. Three. Uh, is there a particular movie that you have kind of set aside that you are really excited to show him in the future, like set him down on a very important day and be like, all right, this is the movie that I've been waiting to show you at the right time? Oh, there are so many, so many. Uh, all those films I grew up with, right? Um, and just to name a few, like E.T., Goonies, all those. But I think there's one that I'm so excited for him to be maybe like 11 or 12, sit him down and toss in 1993's Jurassic Park. Yeah. That is, it was, it was an amazing movie for me when I was little, but it still holds up today mm-hmm. and you can still watch it in the effects, which were done mostly practically. Well, I'd say like probably 50% practically. Gosh, they, they look so good. And there's just amazing tension building in the movie, but it's, it never gets too gory that like you wouldn't want, you, you wouldn't want a 12 year old watching it. So that's the one that I'm, Oh man, I can't wait. And that score, geez, yeah. when you hear that score with, by John Williams, just like, the tears well up because it's like, God, you remember seeing those freaking T-Rexes on screen for the first time. It was just such a magical moment. Yeah, there's so much magic in that movie. When when I hear John Williams and they see the um, the big, the tall, is it Brontosaurus? The first dinosaur they ever see in the park? Like That's the one that gives yeah. me goosebumps every freaking time I watch it. Yeah, it's such a, it's such a good movie. It's all around. One of those movies I think is just perfect. And it's hilarious. Yeah, it's really funny. It's well written. Yep. That was my introduction to Jeff Goldblum for many people, probably our age. <laughs> and God, I, it doesn't get any better than than him in that for me. Yeah, he's uh, he's a great actor, and he's in. I mean, he's in a lot of movies that I love, but his performance in The Fly is is one of my favorites as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, I just spoke about my goosebumps. Is there a movie um, that gives you goosebumps? And they could be bad goosebumps or they could be um, scary goosebumps. But is there a movie that gives you them every time you watch it? There are several. There are several. Uh, I think that, hmm, let's narrow it down. It's another movie that I think is is a perfect movie. And it's got so many memorable moments that that give me goosebumps especially when I got to see it recently on the big screen for the very first time, 1997's Boogie Nights from Paul Thomas Anderson. I mean, my first experience with Boogie Nights was not a good one because I was maybe 16 and my parents rented it from the video store and Mm -hmm. tossed it in the VHS player 
And I was in the front room when they started watching Boogie Nights. And you don't want to watch Boogie Nights with your parents. That's no. like the most torturous thing ever. So I lasted like 10 minutes and I'm like, no, fuck this. I'm out. Uh, and then later on in life, when I started getting really into movies and, and I started digging into P.T. Anderson. Wow. This is one that just from the very first scene of this long take that introduces almost every character in through this club. Just thinking about that scene is giving me goosebumps. Like the the scene in um, when they go to Alfred Molina's house for the drug deal. Again, another perfect scene. Uh, there, there are so many that just give me goosebumps just thinking about them. That movie, I think, is perfect. Now, you said perfect twice. What does it take for a movie to check all of the, the perfect boxes to get it to that perfect like score? So as a person who aspires to make movies and makes short movies... It's when I watch a movie and I think to myself, okay, there's not one thing that I would have changed. That's mm-hmm. when I feel it's perfect. Because right. I, I walk out of most movies and it's like, well, that was really good. Here's what I might have done, though. Or this scene didn't work for me. And those movies that I think are perfect is where every scene works, every tone works, every shot is framed the way I would have done it. And no characters do those stupid things that you, you in the script writing process, you think like, why the hell would somebody do that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. Like for a perfect movie, there has to be no wasted line of dialogue, no wasted time getting from here to there. Yeah. I agree with you. Yep. Hey, the show's not over yet, but if you are enjoying it, please do me a favor and go rate the show on your podcast player. It will help me a lot to get the show out in front of more movie lovers just like you. Thanks so much. Is there a movie that you watched when you were young and when while you're watching it, you thought to yourself, I am not old enough to be watching this? Oh, 100 uh, percent. Robocop. I was probably eight years old. And for some reason, we went to go visit my uncle in Manhattan, which is across the country. Uh, I'm in the Bay Area out in San Francisco. So we fly out to Manhattan. It was a very long day of travel. We get to, to my uncle's apartment and my mom is like. I'm tired. I'm going to bed. My uncle's like, same thing here. Me and my brother were there and he's like, I got a bunch of VHSs under there. Just watch whatever you want. I'm like eight or nine and my brother was six or seven. And it's like, wow, RoboCop. This sounds cool. We had yeah. seen like the ads on TV. This looks great. Now, Paul Verhoeven did some stuff with RoboCop that is amazing. It is a great movie, just not even because of like the... um the amount of gore that's in there or like how cool it looks, but because it's got a great social subtext underneath it, which as an eight year old, you don't get mm-hmm. what you get is like, holy shit. They just blew a guy's face off. <laughs> <laughs> and the scene where Peter Weller gets decimated to turn into RoboCop has, it scarred me for a very long time. And uh, I don't think I got through the whole movie and I was the whole time you're thinking like, holy moly. I should not be watching this. And uh, <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure it took me a very long time to pop RoboCop in again. Yeah, yeah. Was th- Did that get a, an R rating back then? It did, it did. And on the Criterion Collection, it had the unrated cut, which was released like very limited in an X rating. Uh, and that's the one where like the Ed 209 scene goes a little bit longer and everything's a little more graphic. Mm-hmm. And I did see that one later. I don't think I've seen RoboCop since I was pro- not even a teenager. It was probably nine or ten, and yeah, I have. Oh. I can't remember all of these visuals that you're talking about right now. 
Oh my god, yeah. The the scene where Peter Weller gets that gets initially killed is just brutal. It's it's so graphic. They like shoot his hand and his hand just explodes into soup. Oh, Ugh. gross. Was it like kind of like a Bonnie and Clyde execution where it's just like tons of guys going after yeah, him? Yeah, so they they get Peter Weller on his knees and there's a group of guys around him and then uh um Oh, what's his name? The guy who plays Red Foreman on that 70s show. His name's escaping me right now. Right. He he is the Clarence Boddicker is his name in the movie. And he just like toys with him before he starts blowing him away. And it is just wow. And the Ed 209 scene is the big claymation style robot that goes haywire in a board meeting. Mm-hmm. And it just tears this dude to shreds with its machine gun arms. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you're going to watch it, Make sure to watch the uh, unrated version, which is pretty widely available now. Okay. That sounds kind of fun. I might have to pop that in. Pop that in. I'll <laughs> push play on that later. <laughs> yeah. We don't pop it in anymore. <laughs> okay. Is there a a movie that has scared you more than any other? So, boy, there's two ways to answer this. Mm-hmm. There's like the traditional horror way, which I think the scariest movie I've always the scariest movie I've ever seen was Silence of the Lambs. Okay. That one's like legitimately scary. But if you look at the way the world is going today, I think an even scarier film is Mike Judge's Idiocracy. Because we sit here now, like when it came out, I think it came out like 2006. We watched Idiocracy and we laughed because it's like, oh, these freaking idiots. Like, look at these people on screen. And then now you pop in Idiocracy and it's like, holy shit, we're headed down this path. Like we are halfway down this path in Idiocracy. Um, celebrity president, right? <laughs> that like tries to tank the whole world or, or like tanks the whole country. Essentially, what we just survived a couple of years yeah. of, in in right. my opinion. Yeah. Uh, we have like a scene where somebody's just sitting in a chair looking at all these screens. Like that's literally what we're doing now with our TV. But here we have our phone next to us. And we got our tablet in front of us. There's so much stuff when you watch Idiocracy where it's like. Wow, we used to laugh at that, and now it's playing out like a cautionary tale that we're turning into. And so, I think out of the traditional horror sense, like Idiocracy is fucking scary. Yeah. And what was the uh, what was I have not seen the movie. What's the kind of tone? I guess that it leaves in your mouth once it's all over. Well, it's supposed to be a satirical comedy, uh, and I think that it left more of like a um wow that was really funny taste in your mouth back in 2006 and now you watch it and it's like oh boy that's that's a little worrisome um so it depends i think on when you watched it like what kind of taste it left in your mouth for sure so there's a little bit of i guess nostradamus in that movie that uh shows that we're we're not going towards the right direction anymore (laughs) unfortunately yeah yeah Jason, what is a movie that you'll remember forever because the experience you saw it under was so unique? Ooh, um, so there's two. I'll, I'll give you like my runner up real quick. And okay. that is uh, the pretty weak comedy, Take Me Home Tonight, featuring another of the uh, That 70s Show Foreman clan, Eric Foreman. <laughs> so the reason that one sticks out in my head is because it was on my honeymoon. We watched it because we were stuck in a hurricane during our honeymoon in the Bahamas. And so like, that was the one movie that I had on my iPad that that I brought with us. Like, (laughs) let's watch this. Um, But the, the one that I think in a theater that we watched that was just absolutely insane was gravity. 
And I don't typically like 3D movies. I don't think I don't want to watch movies in 3D because number one, it doesn't really work for me. And number two, the picture quality is always worse in 3D. But Gravity was such a unique experience in 3D. You're watching Sandra Bullock and George Clooney deal with their situation on this spacecraft. And it was just so engrossing with that 3D element Yeah, that I remember looking down and I was like gripping the seat and my wife's my wife's hand was like right on mine doing the same thing. Wow. And when we walked out of there, it was just like, holy moly, that was such a great experience. And it just does not hold up at home. I mean, it's still a good movie and I still have it in my collection, but when you watch it, when you watch it at home, it's not the same experience. It doesn't even compare. Yeah. I'm trying to just, I'm thinking back to some of the scenes with all of like the shrapnel and the, and the spaceship exploding. Well, a couple of them, I actually, yeah, that's gotta be, gotta be amazing for me. Unfortunately, um, I think Avatar was the last 3D movie that I saw mm. that actually worked on my eyes because I kind of have an astigmatism now, so 3D doesn't really ever translate like it used to. Got it, got it, but yeah. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing experience. Yeah. I got. To, I was fortunate enough to see that um, at the, the Grauman's Chinese Theater. Oh, nice. After they did the renovation. Yep. Um, and God, it was so just loud in there and amazing. <laughs> I really loved that movie um, in that theater. That's awesome. What is the movie if the um, if you had to prove to the aliens or to you know some foreign invaders that humans are good at our core? What's a movie that would sum up the good side of humanity? It's this is a tough question. You think about movies about good people. Like most of the time, it's a, a good person turning bad or a bad person turning good. But there's one movie that I think really illustrates a good person just being good. And that's the Mr. Rogers documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Yeah. Um, this is one that when, when I heard there was a Mr. Rogers documentary coming out, I was very worried because I grew up on Mr. Rogers. And my first thought when you see a documentary about somebody is, ah, shit, they dug up some dirt on Mr. Rogers. <laughs> and luckily, that wasn't it. This is literally just a celebration of who Mr. Rogers was. He was such a wonderful man who treated everybody equally, like no matter the race, but also no matter the age. Yeah. He spoke to kids in a way that was relatable to them, but he didn't sugarcoat stuff. And there's moments in the documentary where he sees you see Mr. Rogers talking to kids about war and you see him talking about stuff like divorce and racism. And it's just so powerful. Uh, and. God, if we had more people in the world like Mr. Rogers, imagine what we could do with the, with this place. Like, imagine how much better the world would be if we had Mr. Rogers everywhere. Yeah. And so I think if I'm showing aliens something to say, we are good, look, I'm not going to believe it because I don't think humans are good. But I think Mr. Rogers was a goddamn good human. Yeah, you're absolutely right. If, yeah, if we had more Mr. Rogers of people that were like him in the world would all be a little happier, uh, a little more accepting. I know like the, the fashionable phrase right now is be kind or be a good person. And he really is, or was the human embodiment of that idea. And, um, unlike you, I'm not very emotional and I don't ever cry. Like if I cry once a year, like that's kind of rare, but that movie at the <laughs> end when they're playing, um, the tape or the sound of his voice, um, during his Emmy acceptance speech. And everyone that you had just listened to in this documentary, um, they they are just listening to it too as you're listening to it and they start welling up and then I start welling up. It's it's a really uh, just 
an awesome ending to a pretty beautiful documentary. Oh, I cried constantly through that thing. And I saw it. It, it was that was the first movie I saw in theaters after I had my my kid. And it just yeah, it was breaking me. There's so many great moments that are just like, wow, these are good tears, obviously, but just so many powerful moments in there about him being a good dude. And I just wish more people were like him. Yeah. Do you think there's anyone out there that's, you know, either on YouTube or on TV that is even close to him, like that you could show your son like, hey, this is this is the new Mr. Rogers or Miss Mrs. Rogers? Gosh, no, unfortunately. And it's not to say that there aren't people out there. It's just to say that I I don't like I'm not the type of guy to sit around and browse through YouTube. So that's yeah. probably why I'm sure there are some really great people doing really great things. And pff, listeners, if you uh, have some of those suggestions, send them my way, because <laughs> it's often that we need that pick me up. And I would love to watch some really wholesome people doing really great things. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you know, spread the joy, please. Let us all know. Okay, Jason, um, the sound is getting louder outside. I think the uh, the cicadas are about to take us over. You've got time to grab one movie to take into your bunker. You can download it or you can grab it from yourself. What's the one movie that you'll take with you that you can rewatch over and over and over? Well, my friend, uh, my show is a top five list, so I'm going to give you the uh, four runners up and then I'm going to give you my number ones. Let's do it. At number five, we've got Inglorious Bastards from Quentin Tarantino. Hell yeah. At number four, we've got Kiss Kiss Bang Bang by Shane Black, a severely underrated movie, which I could have mentioned earlier. At number three, let's see, number three, we'll go with Leon the Professional, which is uh, another amazing action movie. Natalie Portman, a young Natalie Portman doing great things. Number two, the aforementioned Boogie Nights. And number one, no surprise here, Pulp Fiction, my favorite movie of all time. That's the one that's coming in the vault with me. That's the one I can watch over and over. And I'm always going to pick up new things and have new questions. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. That movie has got, oh, I love that movie. It's, you know, not only because of the the non-linearness of it, but there's just so many memorable characters, so many memorable lines. It's unexpected all the way through. Have you gone through um i know that, like people have re-edited it into different versions where they do make it linear or i'm not sure of all of them but have you seen those other ones i haven't and i know of them i just haven't watched them on purpose because mm-hmm. i think that tarantino is such a master and that script is so well done and the story is just to me it's just perfect and i don't want to see other people's versions i only really care about his don't fuck with perfection exactly while we're here, is there any other, I would love to hear like some other perfect, what you think in your mind is another perfect film. Is there any other examples that you can tell us? Uh, oh, well, my, my top five is pretty, those are pretty perfect movies. And if I had to kind of talk more about one, I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang deserves a little bit more recognition. It is Robert Downey Jr. right before he gets pulled into the Marvel Universe, but his role in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is just so pitch perfect. And it's got, I think, the last great performance by Val Kilmer yeah. as Gay Perry in a role that is just, oh, is it's so, it's chef's kiss. <laughs> he did such a great job as Gay Perry. It's a very twisting mystery directed by Shane Black, who ended up doing uh, Iron Man 3 with Robert Downey Jr. But he is a fantastic writer when he, well... He's had some duds, like the last Predator movie, I think, was just one of the worst movies I've ever seen. But Shane Black has also done a lot of my favorite movies, like Lethal Weapon, he wrote, which is great. Last Boy Scout, Scout. a a guilty pleasure that I love. Yeah, (laughs) Um, 
But Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, along with The Nice Guys, which is another movie that I think needs more attention with Ryan Gosling, those two just kind of meld the, everything good about Shane Black into one movie. There's one other one that I'll mention that I, I could have brought up during a couple of these, specifically at the Goosebumps scene or the Goosebumps question. Uh, La La Land is another movie that I think is really perfect in that the message at the end isn't like this is a typical romantic comedy. It is you got to sometimes you got to let those people that you love go because it's not the right time. Uh, and sometimes you have to let those people go because you're following your passions in a different direction. And the music in that is just perfect. The visuals are stunning. Uh, Damien Chazelle is one of my favorite newer filmmakers, but La La Land is another one that I think has to has to be mentioned. Yeah, I, I love the music from La La Land. The I, I listen to the orchestral version a lot, and then I will also listen to the you know the full on movie soundtrack version. It's so yeah. it's so freaking good. Um, and I'm glad you brought up Last Boy Scout because I feel like that is one of the most underrated action movies because I didn't discover that until very later in life and i was like oh yeah. wow like the one-liners alone in this movie are the best yep that that one uh that and uh, long kiss goodnight are the two like really two really underrated action movies that i think work perfectly as a double feature mm, i still have not seen that that's sam jackson right samuel jackson and gina davis right. oh yeah if you like the last boy scout you will love the long kiss goodnight all right all right Okay, Jason, it is time to lock up your capsule. And since this is a low-budget show, I need you to provide the sound effects with your mouth of your capsule closing. (laughs) Perfect. Very nice. Um, Jason, thank you so much for doing this. We've already talked about your your podcast, Force 5. Is there anything else we should be uh, looking out for? No, not really. Uh, I got a new show every Monday. You can find it anywhere you get your pods or on force5podcast.com. And remember, listeners, if you want to be a guest on my show, you just have to have an interesting topic and, uh, and know how to talk about movies. That's all there is to it. That's right. Yeah, go check out force5podcast.com and you can go be uh, a guest yourself like I'm going to go be sometime soon indeed if you want a recap of Jason's capsule choices you can go to lukechaney.com slash mtc it's in the show notes and thank you for spending some time with us I hope this episode encourages you to check out some new movies or revisit some old ones and lastly here is a parting piece of movie trivia name the trilogy that has this ending line well I'm back.